Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. What's good, everyone? Welcome back to the Bucks Film Room Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sampson, and you can find me on Twitter at Bucks Film Room. I write about the Milwaukee Bucks for Brew Hoop and for Forbes Sports. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you listen. Just search for the Brew Hoop feed and you can find it under there. My podcast comes out every Thursday morning, so make sure to continue checking in. And it would be swell if you could be so kind as to give us five stars and leave a friendly review. It helps the podcast become more noticeable on iTunes or whatever using like their algorithms, equations, whatever, blah, blah, blah. All I know is that it would be extremely helpful, so I would appreciate that. I apologize about not recording last week. I was sick for like nine, ten days, a week, whatever. Barely ate anything. Ended up losing like ten pounds in one week. It was not good just completely wiped me out but I'm back now stronger than ever well maybe stronger than ever we'll find out about that and we continue to break down our individual players and we're going to continue to double up we're the season is quickly approaching and we actually have about nine players remaining so we're going to continue to do two of them and today we're going to talk about Ursan Ilyasova and Robin Lopez so it'll be a big man podcast today as we talk about Urs and the Robin and we'll continue to follow the same format like we always have where we look at a player's strengths weaknesses and then their best and worst case scenarios so let's begin with Ursan Ilyasova and let's begin with the basics so first Ersan is just lighting it up in the World Cup. By the time you listen to this podcast, he'll have played his third game. I'm not sure exactly how that will go, obviously, but I'm sure he'll do tremendous. But he did have 23 points and 14 rebounds and a narrow loss to Team USA. And that's encouraging signs. You know, he was kind of blah with the Bucks last year, but he's just lighting it up on the World Cup stage. It's always great to see Bucks represent. So this is technically Ursan's third stint with Milwaukee. He was selected in the second round, the 36th overall pick, way back in 2005 when he was just 18 years old. And he ended up playing one season in Milwaukee in 2006-2007, took a couple years off, and then returned in 2009 and played five-plus seasons with the Bucks before being traded to the Pistons. And then he returned last summer as a free agent. So last year, in his first year back with Milwaukee, he played 18.4 minutes per game and averaged 13.2 points and 8.8 rebounds per 36 minutes while shooting 36.3% from the three-point line. And that three-point percentage is about right on par with his career average, which is 36.5%. So that's just about what he normally does. So let's jump into his game by looking at his strengths. 
The biggest thing you need to know about Ursan is that he's a hustle player. You know, he's the guy that always ends up with a broken nose, literally, at least once a season ends up with a broken nose. He'll dive into the stands. He'll dive on the floor for loose balls. He'll make those gritty plays. You know, he's really that guy that that championship teams need, the guy who's not afraid to make the small plays, you know, make the little plays. Um, He can defend fives and fours. He's probably better suited to defend either smaller five or slower fours, but at this point in his state or at this stage in his career, he still has enough athleticism left in him where he can bang with some of those fives. Last year he got matched up with like a Joel Embiid a little bit. That's probably not the best matchup. He's not necessarily strong enough or tall enough to defend a player like that or like a Marcus Saul, but a typical five, you know, he can come in for stretches and provide that versatility. And he can, when it comes to the perimeter and defending guys on the perimeter, as far as power forwards or centers, he can, for the most part, slide his feet and do an adequate job. He's not the most athletic guy, but he works on that end of the floor, which I think is really a key to his game is that he can provide some of that positional flexibility where he can play two different positions. He can defend two different positions Obviously, Mike Budenholzer is going to want to be very matchup aware uh, when he's putting him out there, who he's asking him to guard, what that looks like. But on most nights, uh, or more often than not, he'll be able to play a couple of positions just depending on how Budenholzer wants to work his rotations or how he wants to you know, really dictate those matchups, what he's looking for. So I think that's really a positive in, in Ilyasova's game. Another positive, another strength is is his charges. I mean, he doesn't get many blocks. He, you know, is not a guy who's going to go out there and swat shots. He averaged just 0.3 blocks per game last year. But what he will do is pick up charges or draw charges. That's the, you know, and that's just as good as getting a block. It's a turnover, it's a foul, and, and the Bucks end up getting the ball. So last year he drew 51 charges, which was the most in the NBA it's ridiculous. The second, so Blake Griffin had the second most charges drawn at 31. So if you guys aren't that good at math, which I had to, you know, use my fingers and my toes for this one, it's 20 more charges in the second most. So Ursan at 51, Blake Griffin's second most at 31. That's just ridiculous. It's crazy how good he is at doing this. And it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's, I can't believe it. I mean, it's one of his huge strengths and, and, is definitely something that maybe does, it's, it gets recognized, but maybe not to the degree of how successful it is and how helpful it can be for his team. Moving to the other side of the ball, Ilyasova, he's a good offensive rebound. He's got this weird bounce where he can just jump up and down on his toes, get up and down faster than anyone else. It's not necessarily that he can jump higher, but he's able to use his body and his strength to create a little separation around the rim and just like tap the ball off the backboard into the hoop, stuff like that. He's really good on the offensive glass that way. And it goes really well with his hustle is he'll crash a glass hard. If his defender doesn't box him out, if he falls asleep for a second, Ursan can can get that advantage and just tip that ball right in the hoop, which, you know, gives the Bucks second life, the second chance points. So that's that's really nice to see. Otherwise he his three point shooting, you know, he's overall he's an average three point shooter with shooting right around thirty six and a half percent. That's 
basically the definition of average in today's NBA. However, I still put it in the strength category because he spreads the floor. He forces big men to come out to the three-point line and defend him, and and that's a positive. You know, that's what the Bucks' whole offense is built around, that five-out system, which, quick plug, as I'm working my way through the Bucks' dictionary, I just wrote about the Bucks' five-out offensive system. So check that out on Brew Hoop. It's, it's kind of neat. I'm going through different terms. Just wanted to start with the basic offense of the Bucks' five-out system. Next week, I'll have another article out about looking at different sets that the Bucks run and what they're called, different things like that. But check that out. And, and that three-point shooting of Ilyasova really allows Budenholzer to spread his guys around the floor because defenders have to respect it, at least to some degree. And he's, you know, he's still stretch four, which is a great part of his game. The last part I have is he's just a smart basketball player. He has a high basketball IQ. He really understands the game. He really understands his role. It's not very often that he tries to do too much. He will look for mismatches. He he will set his teammates up in advantageous positions. So I think that's really an important part is he's a smart player on both ends of the floor. He's a savvy veteran. You know, he's a guy that hopefully can help the Bucks make some of those smaller plays, like I said, and really help set them up for the most success. So really his basketball IQ is the last strength that I wanted to go through. Now moving on to his weaknesses. He doesn't have any glaring weaknesses per se. Nothing that really jumps off the page. You know, he's a pretty average player, which means that most of his skill sets just fall in like that average range. Um, One thing I would say is he's not a dynamic defender. We talked about his lack of blocks and how he makes up for that with drawing charges, but he's not going to go in there and deter people necessarily from driving to the hoop. He lacks you know, above average athleticism. He he isn't a guy who's going to be able to defend quicker fours on the perimeter or bigger fives or necessarily stronger players. He's not a weak player. He's not like a DJ Wilson who's going to get bullied around, but he just is kind of average in all athletic categories, which limits him somewhat defensively, um, limits the type of job he can do. He still works hard and tries to fight through that, but just He's just not a dynamic defender that way. He's offensively, he's not the best passer. He will set his guys up, his teammates up on basic plays, basic passes, but he's not somebody who the Bucks are going to run through, run their offense through from like the elbow or anything like that. He's not a guy who can do anything more than make a basic read. He will keep the ball moving. He will swing the ball around the perimeter, but anything more than that is really out of his element. And so the Bucks are really best to keep everything simple for him. One or two easy reads, that's really the best for Ursan. Another weakness that I have noted is he's a streaky shooter. It's, you know, he his makes come in come in waves. He'll he'll go a few games without making any. You know, he's really that streaky shooter, which, you know, can be hurtful. It can be if you come into a series like the Eastern Conference Finals against the Toronto Raptors, it's really can be difficult if he's going through, you know, a cold spout. Um 
so it's really that that streaky shooting and you know against Toronto he had games three four and five where he didn't make a three and so I think that can really defenses don't necessarily have to respect him as much if he's going through one of those cold streaks of course it also means he has hot streaks to make up for it to to balance it out and find that average but he's just a streaky shooter which ends up kind of hurting his game overall sometimes from here and there. So his best case scenario, last year he played about 18 minutes a game. This year he would stay right around that 18 to 20 minutes a game. The Bucks they have a lot of front court depth. They have, you know, they obviously it's got Brooke Lopez and Giannis as their starters, and then Robin Lopez is the primary backup five. And then they have DJ Wilson and uh, Ursan Ilyasova fighting for that four spot. So I know that some Bucks fans really want Wilson to overtake Ursan and were upset last year when that didn't happen. But I think, you know, Ursan right now is potentially still the better player. It'll be interesting to see Wilson and how he's developed because obviously at this stage in their career, Wilson has much farther to go and much more potential to develop on a summer to summer, offseason to offseason basis. But I think for Ursan and keeping with his best case scenario for himself, he plays 18 to 20 minutes a game. He creeps his three-point clip up to 37%. I don't think we can realistically expect anything to get much higher than that at this point, just given, you know, his career body of work and where he's at. So I think he just he just bumps it up a little bit to 37% from behind the arc, which is which would be very good. It's what the Bucks need. They just need a couple of their players from last year just to bump up their averages just a little bit. So I think that would be a best case for Ilya Sova. Uh on defense, he continues to take the charges like he has. He doesn't lose a lot of lateral quickness. And he's able to continue to play the backup four and some minutes at the backup five when he need, when he's needed. And he can still be effective at both of those areas. You know, at 32 years old, this is about the time where he might start losing some of that athleticism, some of that lateral quickness. But I think in this best case scenario, that doesn't happen quite yet, where he's still able to work with what he has and still be effective. And he continues to be a solid contributor off the bench. You know, the Bucks will continue to rely on him to be that primary backup power forward. And and just to clarify, this is best case for Ursan, so I'm not saying necessarily this is best case for the team, but for Ursan, he continues to be the primary backup power forward, that solid contributor off the bench where he has his nights where he maybe kind of, I don't know if carries the second unit is the right word, but he's able to be a very solid contributor and, and really help that second unit you know, keep things going with some of the starters on the bench. The worst case scenario for Ursan is that his three-point percentage dips to about 32 or 33%. I don't know if it would get much lower than that, but I think in this worst case, it dips to about 32, 33. That would just be rough on him. It would really force defenses to not have to respect him from behind the arc. They they would be able to just kind of you know, wander a little farther away from him, wander a little closer to the lane, close down some of those driving lanes and those alleys to the hoop. So I think that would really be a worst case scenario. I th- another part would be that he does lose some of that lateral quickness. Like we said, he's 32. So if he loses some of that lateral quickness, he isn't able to defend even maybe average athletic fours, some of those fours who can pull him out to the perimeter where he was able to stay with them. He loses some of that ability to stay in front of them on the perimeter. He loses some of that ability to body with bigs down low. 
I think that would be a worst case scenario um, and a worst case scenario for Ursan, but like I said, maybe not for some Bucks fans is his struggles mean then that DJ Wilson get an extended look. Wilson last year only primarily played when Ursan was hurt or when there are other injuries in the front court. Anytime Ilyasova was healthy, he was almost always the option above Wilson. So I think that worst case would be that Wilson gets an extended look. Who knows what he'll do with his time. He was impressive last year when given the chance. And so maybe Boonholzer has a little bit shorter of a leash for Ursan this time around. I I think that's unlikely. I don't... I mean, Ursan is a Boonholzer guy, so I just think that part is unlikely. And I'm not exactly sure how that would work out, but I think worst case for Ursan is that's what it would look like. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void where prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. All right, so now that wraps up Ursan Ilyasova. So let's move on to Robin Lopez. Of course, he's a twin brother, Brooke Lopez. Milwaukee signed Robin to a two-year deal worth $9.8 million this offseason. He'll get about $4.7 million this year, and then he has a player option in 2020-2021 for $5 million. So here's some basic information on the Robin. He appeared in 74 games for the Bulls last year and averaged 21.7 minutes during those contests. So during his time on the court, he put up 15.8 points, 6.4 rebounds, 2 assists, and 1.7 blocks per 36 minutes. So those are his per 36 minute averages. His strengths, he's a solid defender. He's not the same type of shot blocker as Brooks, so don't go in expecting him to have the same type of impact on the interior or on the in the paint, but Robin can get the job done. You know, 1.7 blocks per 36 minutes is is adequate. It's uh, it's respectable. I think Robin's strength really comes in just his ability to follow the defensive scheme, to implement it, and to do it effectively, um, and to really you know play good team defense. He's a great communicator. I think that's one of his absolute strengths. Is you know you you know about Robin's his personality, his dry sense of humor, but he's really a great communicator, and that's huge, especially with his role in the Bucks defense as like that anchor around the hoop. He's going to need to communicate with his teammates. He's going to need to let them know what's going on, where the screens are coming from, where the guys are, where he's at. So I think that's really a nice strength that he brings to the table is he's a good communicator, and that'll go a long way with this Bucks defense. You know, 
Lopez, Robin Lopez can body with with the bigs like Joel Embiid and give the Bucks 48 minutes of of huge seven foot bodies to throw at someone like Embiid, and that hopefully can wear him down over time. Embiid already has struggles with his health, and so throwing two seven footer seven foot mammoths out there, I think, will really be helpful in the long run, especially if we're talking about like a seven game series in the Eastern Conference Finals against Philadelphia when. When Joel Embiid always is going up against 270-pounders and Brooke Lopez and then Robin Lopez, and it's just nonstop, I think that'll be huge. Make no mistake about it, I think that's mostly why this signing happened, in my opinion. Robin doesn't necessarily fit the Bucks' traditional you know, what you think of traditionally as that stretch shooter, which we'll get into here in a little bit. He d- he doesn't stretch the floor to the three-point line, which makes it kind of a weird fit. That's how the Bucks had so much success last year. But the 76ers are the Bucks' primary threat in the Eastern Conference. If Milwaukee wants to take that next leap to get to the NBA Finals, and if they want to convince Giannis to sign next offseason, they really got to try to do everything they can to get to the NBA Finals. And I think... Robin in a matchup against Philadelphia does that. He, like I said, that matchup with Embiid, I think is one of the main reasons why he was brought on. And if he can provide good defense against Embiid, in my opinion, and if he can do that in the playoffs, he'll have earned his $4.7 million this year. Like That's exactly what the Bucks are looking for. Overall, Robin, he's just a great team player. He puts his team first. He wants to win. He's there for his guys. He's beloved in the locker room. So I think that'll be huge. He'll be fit right in with the culture. That'll be really nice. And similar to Brooke, he's great at boxing out. He's not going to get huge individual rebounding numbers, but his team is always, always better, a better rebounding team when he's on the court. So that'll be huge for the Bucs, you know, to have another guy who can come in and, and take the opposing team's best rebounder or biggest rebounder out of the picture consistently and box him out, get a body on him. That'll be nice for the Bucks. You know, they really like to get out and run. That's when Giannis is at his best. That's when Bledsoe is at his best. So if they can continue to box out for 48 minutes and get rebounds for 48 minutes, that'll go a long way into igniting that offense. You know, we saw last year somewhat get bogged down in the half court a little here and there. Um, and this will just help them continue to run, to continue to get out in transition and really use that athleticism that they have as a team to their advantage. His weaknesses. Robin's not the most agile laterally, similar to Brooke. Um, we said the same thing about Brooke last year. However, he did a pretty nice job. But I think that Robin has a little bit more lack of lateral quickness. And how will he fare defensively in the playoffs if the Bucks have to implement a switching scheme or... If Milwaukee just doesn't even use their deep drop pick and roll coverage like they have been, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Robin, he's an engaged defender. He'll give it everything that he has. He'll work as hard as he can, but some. But it'll just be interesting to see where his physical limitations lie in all of that. Otherwise, most of his weaknesses really come on the offensive end, and it's that perimeter shooting. I think that's the biggest question mark is how will he fit in to Mike Boonholzer's five out offense where he where Boonholzer expects everybody on the court to catch and to or to shoot the ball when they're open from the three point line to take those open threes. Robin, he's only taken fifty one attempts from the three point line in his career and he's made eleven of them. That's 
that's not great. He'll be expected to shoot from threes this year. Make no mistake about it. He'll expect it to be just like everyone else. If that shot is there, which it will be, he'll have to he'll have to prove to his defenders that they have to come out to the three-point line to guard him. So, until he does that, you know, those three-point shots will be there. So, will he can will he take them? What happens if he misses two or three in a row? Will he be hesitant to take that next one? You know, a lot of times big men, they're worried about that. If they miss a couple shots in a row, it gets in their head. They want to keep the ball going. How will he react in that scenario? How will that three-point shooting go? You can bet your bottom dollar he's working on it all offseason, but that's not enough time. So it'll really be interesting to see how that how that works out for him. How how he fair it can mess up the whole offense, you know. It would really limit who he can play with. If he's a non shooter, do you really want him on the floor with someone like Giannis, who's also a non shooter, Bledsoe, who struggles from the three point line? You know, is does that really limit Lopez's ability? There are ways don't get me wrong, there are ways in an offense to work around it to if hide a guy on the court who can't be a three-point shooter. You know, you can put him in the short corner, the dunker spots. That way, if someone like Giannis drives and Robin's man steps up, you can throw a lob over the top or drop it down in like that. That's one way. You know, there are other ways to scheme around it, but right now, or the Bucks offense, as we knew it last year, was predicated on five guys on the perimeter who all demanded the respect of their defender to come out to the three-point line. And if they didn't, they had guys who could, for the most part, consistently make them pay from behind the arc. So I think that is just the biggest weakness, the biggest question mark that that we really have about Robin's game. And I'm, I wonder how, how that will all play out this year. All right, so the best case scenario for for Robin is he's able to give the Bucks 48 minutes of elite interior defense and rim protection. I'm not saying that he would play all 48 minutes, but he would come in for that time when Brooke is on the bench and continue to to provide a big body, a big intimidating body down low. He's able to defend the rim in the Bucks pick and roll scheme. He's able to pick up right away with that. He can body with the bigger fives, still defend some of the quicker ones. He's not necessarily going to be the most athletic big man out there, but he, he can do an adequate job, really just give the Bucks solid interior defense and a solid communicator for every minute of the game. And for, I mean, I'm guessing Robin will play 18 to 20 minutes at most next year, but still, I think it, that would, that's exactly what they'll look for. In this scenario, he finds his outside shooting stroke. He makes 40%. No, I'm just kidding. I was seeing if you guys are paying attention out there. I think best case, 32 to 34%. You know, that's right about where Bledsoe was last year, I think. I, I don't think I'm being too optimistic. I think, you know, Robin makes 32 to 34% and maybe like two or three attempts a game. Maybe uh, that's what I think is the best case scenario. I mean, can we really expect anything more from that? Last year was the most threes that Robin had taken in a single season and he was seven for 31. So that was 22.6%. So maybe it's too much of a leap to ask him to get all the way up to 32%. But I think really... If we're shooting for the moon and making it somewhat realistic, like that's what he's got to be at in order just to get even a little bit of respect from the defense. And I think another best case scenario is that he understands his role. He thrives in it. He's really going to be that energy big that comes off the bench. He's not going to be playing a ton of minutes, so he can really give that little extra energy and effort when he's in on the court. So I think that's another best case scenario for him. Lastly, let's go through his worst case scenario. 
defensively, there's not much variance. You know, I think his defense is pretty stable. We know what we're going to get. There's not like a group, an awesome, like, yeah, it's not a huge variable or variance between best case and worst case defense. It's pretty stable in that end. So I think most of his worst case scenario is going to come from offense, from the offensive end, and it's going to come from his ability or inability to shoot from the three-point line. You know, if he can't shoot, he's going to clog the paint. It could mess up the Bucks' whole offense in this worst case scenario. We could go back to... And I cringe when I say this, but the Jason Kidd era when the spacing wasn't awful or when the spacing was awful. And I mean, it's not going to be that bad. Boonholzer is a much smarter coach. He'll understand how to use Robin in different situations. He'll have a game plan for Robin for when he's in on the court. But I think just in this worst case scenario is it just clogs the paint. Messes with Giannis's with Bledsoe's ability to get to the hoop on a consistent basis. And it really limits Robin's ability to play with other guys you know if you have him on the court and then like I said you pair him with Giannis that's two non-shooters right there and then there could go your whole spacing for your offense so I'm just interested to see how that plays out and in this worst case scenario Robin's only able to make 22 25 percent of his threes and he only takes one or two a game because he doesn't want to keep chucking them up there so we'll see what that looks like We'll have to wait and see how it all plays out. There's a lot of a lot of offseason, a lot of time. Well, I guess offseason is dwindling down, but there's still time for Robin to continue to work on his outside shot, and I don't think we'll really have an idea until the regular season or the preseason comes around in October. Well, that's all I have for you today, folks. Thanks for tuning in, and don't forget you can follow me on Twitter at Bucks Film Room. I hope to catch you next time.